Welcome to NLP Talks with Laura Evans, a podcast for people looking to unleash their potential in business and life. I'm Laura Evans, international trainer of NLP and host for this podcast series. Join me for insightful interviews with people that know firsthand just how NLP can change lives and they'll share with you tips and strategies to help you clear your path to success. Stay tuned. Hey, how are you doing? I'm welcome. Thank you for joining me. My name is Laura Evans and I'm the founder and lead trainer here at Unleash Your Potential and of course, your host for this podcast. Welcome to episode two of our mental health awareness mini series. And it is my pleasure to introduce you today to the inspirational Jamie McCanch. One morning, Jamie woke up paralyzed. There were things people told him he would never be able to do again. He used his mindset to not only manage day-to-day life, but go on to achieve some amazing things like becoming a successful athlete, award winner, you name it, Jamie's done it, including jumping out of an aeroplane. And in amongst all of this, coming back from the depths of despair, he set himself the target to climb Mount Everest and get to base camp. This is a truly inspirational story. And without further ado, let's cut across and join Jamie as he starts to share his story. I had shingles in 2013. So in the November 2013, which caused major problems in my job because I was really ill, really, really ill. I had shingles and tonsillitis at the same time. So I had to have some time off work. I had to have some time off the theatre. And like everything else, it's a virus. So you just kind of get over it, right? I had like all the medication and everything was just fine. But I had this niggle in my back that I couldn't quite shake. And then I was working on the What's What's On Stage Awards with, you know, some great names like Daniel Radcliffe and David Walliams and Rupert Grit is the name, the, the other character out of Harry Potter, uh, you know, Sheridan Smith. There was some really great characters then. I was loving life. And at the time, I was, I was also working with um, Charlie the Chocolate Factory and Wicked. Um, I was doing Beauty and the Beast. So I had a lot of freelance work coming in. And I was offered a crewman's job, uh, which would have been about forty to £50,000 a year. Um, and I was offered that on the 3rd of January 2014, which was like, great dream job. I mean, it's like loving life, great money. And then on the 6th of January, I went to bed. And on the 7th of January, um, I woke up paralyzed and I had, during my sleep, ruptured my spine. Now, this is a rare condition. It's it's not something that everybody's got to have nightmares about. Um, basically, what had happened was the shingles um, had uh, unfortunately caused severe damage to my sensory nerves from my L2 down. So it is rare that this happens. I've got to you know, specify that. However, for me, that was reality. So I went through um, a channel of life where my home had become a cage. Um, I was relying on on people to help me do things like washing and cooking and all the rest because everything I'd known was now different. And, and, and I was an imprisoner based in my own home because my house wasn't adapted for a wheelchair. So I couldn't go and... For those listening that don't know what L2 down means... Oh, okay, yeah. What does that so, mean? So your, L, your lumbar is in 10 stages... So L1 is lumbar one. So you're, you're talking about your spine. Spinal column, yeah. Yeah. So the L the L2 is your second lumbar disc. Um, and it's the it's what I damaged was the sensory nerves between my lumbar one and my lumbar two. So lower back which, essentially. Yeah, lower back basically, yeah. Um so belly button to give okay, you an okay, idea okay. where it is, belly button, belly button height. So yeah, so basically, um, and I think more and more people can kind of relate to this now, uh, I was unable to go and see my relatives because their houses were not compatible for a wheelchair. I couldn't get out of my house because I had steps coming out the front of the door. So I had to basically replan and, and have all this work done in my home to make it wheelchair friendly. So yeah, I was quite used to this isolation malarkey before we went into isolation. I was already quite professional at it, to be fair. So like everything, I learned, I picked myself up, I got on with it, I dealt with it, or so I betrayed. Uh, and there's there's a talk that I do called The Man Behind the Mask. And the reason why I use that talk is because I put on a mask that I was okay. Um, when everyone see me, I was smiling, I was jolly. Um, you know, everyone, 
I was the confident one. Everyone kind of knew that of me, um, where deep down I was kind of breaking apart because I couldn't do the things I wanted to do. I wasn't the person I had been. And I didn't even know why, because at the time I was undiagnosed. I wasn't diagnosed with complex regional pain syndrome, which is the condition I have, short uh, CRPS for sure. I wasn't diagnosed until 13 months after rupturing my spine. Wow. So I had a big journey ahead of me um, for 2014. So I took a drug overdose. How that came about was I was on my way out to go to a wedding and I was all dressed up and we we had a ramp put in by now, but it was a portable ramp, an aluminium one. Mm -hmm. So I literally had to wheelie over the front door and of the door jam and then skate down the ramp. It's the only way I can describe it. But on the way out, I looked down and, I'm, and I'd wet myself um, because the, th- the three things that the, that, that nerve controls um, between your L2 and your L1, there's three main functions. Uh, and, I, and I'll share that with you because it's prudent. So the first one is it controls your bladder control. Uh, the second thing it controls is your bowel control. And the third one, which is probably the one from a, a young male, um, I was only 33-ish, um, it controls the ability to ejaculate. So not only had I lost the my independence, but in my mind, I'd lost my manhood, my mojo, if you like. And that's a big, it's a big bullet to chew on, um, you know, when you... When, you, when you're married and, you know, you, ha- you, you want to, at the time we were thinking about starting a family and stuff like that, it was a big, big thing to chew on. So when I looked down and I'd wet myself and we were on the way out, we were like kind of rushing to go. Um, that was kind of the final bullet for me, really. And uh, two days later, I took a drug overdose. I was hospitalized on, on a machine. Um, I'd, you know, had a good go at it. And fortunately, I'd failed um, or in my term, I've survived. Um, so I survived that attempt in my life. And, um, a friend of mine came in to see me whilst I was in hospital. And he said to me, he said, uh, what's the matter? Like, what have you been up to? And he'd done something that I promote a lot in my talks was he listened. He didn't try to resolve the problem. He didn't give me a fix. He just listened to what I had to say. And when I say I cried, I cried. So for two hours, he had everything, every frustration, every angry, he had the whole works, the, all the emotions that I had. And then afterwards, he just went, I think you should come play basketball with me. And, and I was like, what do you mean? And little did I know at that time, it was going to change my life. He said, well, look, mate, you've got nothing to lose. Come and give it a go. Since then, uh, so that was the April in 2014, April 2014. So straight after that, I started playing basketball and was signed for the Cardiff, um, for the Cardiff national team. Then I was... Um, picked because of my speed for tryouts for the Welsh rugby team. In the August, eight months after waking up paralysed, I was capped for Wales, playing uh, in the Welsh team for the Six Nations. Um, in the October that year, I decided to do the one thing I love doing, which was climb a mountain. Um, and I took a wheelchair built for Tesco's, chopped the front end off, took a mountain bike designed for a two-year-old, cut the back end off, welded the two together, um, and made myself a three-wheeled wheelchair and became the second person ever to self-propel a penny van. Wow. Um, yeah, it was pretty cool. Uh, there's a famous photo, viral photo of my medic um, actually gluing my hands back together because I'd worn all the skin down um, on my hands. And actually so, literally glue? Yeah, so she was using this like medical tape stuff to, to basically glue the skin back down on my hands because my hands had basically worn down to the flesh. And she said to me, she said, Jamie, she said... Um, you know you can turn back, right? And I went, yeah, I know I can. But right now, I'm halfway up. And if I, so which means I'm also halfway down. So I may as well just do what I wanted to do. And it was important to me because I needed to prove, not to anyone else, I needed to prove to myself that I was still capable. Anyway, I made it to the summit. When I got there, there was probably about 100 people on the summit or cheering me because they'd been watching me climb the mountain on the way up and they waited for me. And like a good man that I am, you know, a true, true, macho man, I burst into tears. Um, and, <laughs> and, I, and I looked at my friends who were with me and my support team and I said to them, I can do anything. And my wife at the time said, yeah, you can. You just got to go and do it. So in 2015, in January of 2015, I held a funeral for myself, my able-bodied version, um, which was part of the process of accepting who I was. So I went off on my own with some photos um, and memories. And I thought about those memories and respected them. And then I burnt them 
So I laid my able-bodied person to rest. And the reason being is even if I wake up tomorrow and none of this is like I was perfectly normal and able-bodied, so as to speak, I would have still traveled the journey that I've traveled up to now, which means I'm never going to be the person that went to bed on the 6th of January, 2014. That's never going to happen. So to move on, I had to let go. And and that's a massive message for a lot of people. From there, I set about um, on a new challenge called Challenge 2015, which meant basically I'd done an extreme challenge every month for 12 months, and I raised £250,000 for charity. Wow. yeah, not exactly Colonel Moore, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not a hundred and adorable, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was the biggest challenge against me. Colonel Sir Tom, now he is Colonel Sir Tom. Yeah, bless him. He's he's amazing, isn't he? He is. Um, yes. But yeah, I done. I became the first wheelchair user ever to complete the Watford Challenge, which is 30k over the top of the Brecon Beacons. I done a hand cycle across uh, Wales. So, sorry, there's a little bit of a thing there, but yeah, so I've done a hand cycle across Wales at 100 miles um, in a wheelchair. So that was pretty epic. Um, so I jumped out of an aeroplane. Oh, I've done all sorts of stuff, you know, like. Make it sound like, like it's like I've just jumped out of an aeroplane, you know, like it's something we all do on the weekend. As an able-bodied person, I wouldn't want to jump out of an aeroplane. Like you, just like you're awesome. It was, yeah, it was cool. Fifteen thousand feet, and the funny thing is, when you jump out of an aeroplane, you have no concept of height, so you don't see height until you're about a thousand feet from the floor. So it's literally fourteen thousand feet. I was flying at one hundred and thirty-six miles an hour. I was epic. Like literally, it was epic. Uh, So yeah, that was just a couple of things I'd done, and I, I, I went. I rode a motorbike again, and then ended up. Um, going down with the talent race team and racing uh, Snedderton with them. So that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, just done loads of stuff. And then I'd, I'd done a bit of archery and then um, I was asked to try out for the Invictus Games for the archery team. Uh, and I declined, actually, because um, we wanted to make my story a sob story. And and I didn't, I didn't want that to happen because I'm going to be honest with you. Yes, I'm disabled. But in in two years of being disabled at this point, I've achieved more than I've ever achieved. Um, I've met some amazing people. I've learned some amazing things. I've learned more about myself than I've ever learned in my life. Um, And if someone said to me at that point, would you want to be able-bodied again? My answer would be no, because I've learned to adapt to being disabled. And and to be fair, I've made the most of it. And and, and to become able-bodied now, I'd have to relearn uh, and and also, I don't want people to think of, ne- of it being disabled as a negative thing because some of the most amazing people I've ever met have had a disability of some description, and and it's not a negative thing. It, it's just a thing. Um, so yeah, so I, I declined that, uh, and that had, pretty much up until then, life was going pretty well actually. And then in 2016, I was nominated for the prestigious Charles Holland Award for my work with charities. Never, ever thought I'd get it. Uh, I just thought it was a joke, actually, at first. Um, 100,000 people were nominated. And, and, 100,000? Blimey. Yeah. Um, when you think about it, it's like Wembley Stadium. I think it was this twice Wembley Stadium or something. So when, when someone says to you, oh, yeah, you've been nominated for this award, you go, oh, yeah, yeah, how many people are nominated? Oh, 100,000. You go, well, that ain't going to happen. Um, so you can imagine my shock when, uh, when I was then called back to, to be told I had to be in London because I'd made it down to the final three. Uh, and even then, I was like, oh, yeah, that's great. At least I'll get a nice meal out of it. Uh, and I'll do anything for a bit of grub. So, uh, <laughs> and then when I was then told, like Simon Weston was the, the you know, the um, comp here. And then when he read out my name and said I'd won, uh, I, was abs- I was lost for words, right? That doesn't happen very often. So, yeah, so that was pretty cool. And yes, by end of 2016, like I was on the radio, I was on the telly, like everything was kind of happening. I was living the dream. I'd just been picked up for a new show, uh, which they were putting out on Channel 4. Um, It was loads of stuff going on. And then 2017 came and kind of everything kind of crashed back out around me. Uh, January the 1st, my my wife, who at the time I, I truly believe was an incredibly brave thing that she did. She came up to me and she sat me down and she said, Jamie, she said, I'm not in love with you anymore. Um, I'm not attracted to you anymore. Uh, and I want a divorce. And, and I've always respected her for it because at the end of the day, like a lot of people, when you say that, they go, oh, that's a bit nasty, but it took a lot of guts to actually admit that. And when you think about it, I wasn't the man she married either. I'd moved on and I'd, I had this massive 
journey in in between that so and we just kind of drifted apart and, and i'm still in touch with her now and 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 she's got a little boy now and she's living you know she's, she's very very happy and, and I'm, I'm very happy for her because i'm also happy so we're both happy now um but i just wanted to kind of clear that up because a lot of people they go oh that's a bit but it is a brave thing to do when someone admits that six weeks later i got diagnosed with cancer so i then had to go through chemo I remember when my doctor said to me, he said, I just need some cancer, you know, it's bad news. And I said, oh, what's the matter? Because I had this lump on my chest. And I said, oh, okay, go on, hit me with it. Like, well, what is it? He said, you've got cancer. And I just went, of course I am. Why wouldn't I? Uh, and he said, I kind of knew you were going to do that. So I went and started my chemo. Uh, that didn't go well. I, I started losing a lot of weight. Uh, I wasn't eating properly. I couldn't keep food done. I just felt sick all the time. Uh, I was living on my own at the time. And then my mum said, Look, Jamie, why don't you come and move back in with me? So I, I agreed. Um, obviously, she said this on the Tuesday. I was living with her by the Thursday. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've never hung around for everything, anything since I've known you. So, I mean, I can't say I'm surprised. No, and my mum, bless her, she is an absolute hero, right? My mum has got the resilience of an ox. She's had cancer five times, uh, three heart attacks, um, and coccal septic semic meningitis. And that's just by this point. And then... Two weeks after I moved in with her, I found her collapsed on the living room floor. Um, and for her 66th birthday, uh, she was diagnosed with a three and a half inch brain tumor. So we started this really weird journey where she was being treated and then I was being treated and then she was being treated and vice versa. But it meant that when I was having my treatment, I could look after her. No, sorry, the other way around. And she was having, when I was having my treatment, she was looking after me. And then when she was having her treatment, I was looking after her. Uh, she had a major operation then in the, in the, in 2018 and had to learn how to do everything. So I had to teach her to read, I had to teach her to write, I had to teach her to clean her teeth. Uh, and there's a funny story, if I've got five seconds, I'll share yeah, it with this. So uh, we were in the bathroom, right? And, and I said to my mom, I said, right, mom, I'm going to show you how to clean your teeth, okay? And she's like, yeah, yeah, okay, I got this. So, right, you put your toothpaste on the end of the toothbrush. She's like, right, I got that. And I said, right, now you put your toothbrush in your mouth and you press the button got it right go she pressed the button now i didn't realize that a p amount of toothpaste could have such a spread there was toothpaste all over her face all over the ceiling the window the sink the floor the toilet the shower and we looked at each other she's covered and i just went right there mum. next lesson how to wash your face and we just set we burst we were crying with laughter and it's a, such a privileged memory to have because not many people get to experience that um that bond between a parent and a child i mean everyone has it but you don't experience to that extent and it's something i'll, I'll literally hold dear so like for the day i die it, it was just brilliant so yeah that was 2018 um which was a bit of a tough year in in itself uh you know learning trying to teach my mum how to do things and everything else and then Come the end of 2018, I started to like rebuild what I was doing. Um, 2019 was the the, the year I, I went full time, um, self employed, um, and and yeah, here I am now. So it's been a it's been an epic journey, and literally, you know, you talk about a circle of life. You know, it was my birthday on the 12th of May, so that just happened, and me and Charlotte uh, got engaged. So that's happening. I know, yeah, it's brilliant. And, and thank you. And I'm so lucky as well because Charlotte is is the rock and support. She's that that sparkling light that kind of stepped into my life and said, you know what, it's okay. And then she needed it as well because she went through a real stressful time in work. So we again we were there for each other. And that's the key message is sometimes it's not it's not necessarily what you do, it's it's what sometimes what you don't do. Um, we don't try to fix each other. We just support each other. And and now in lockdown, you know, you, you'd think that like by now she'd want to kill me and she, I'm still alive. So we, we get on, clearly. <laughs> I, I have, having spent 11, no, seven days with you in the train room, Jamie, I have absolute <laughs> respect for Charlotte. Um, as anybody else who's watching that knows Jamie, um, Charlotte, big love, honestly, big love. Um, she's, a, she's a real diamond. But there's that pinnacle point, right? The whole reason, the title. So how this came about was when I was learning how to walk, since since learning how to walk, I so I went into my physio and my physio said to me, right, we need a goal. I said, okay, cool, yeah, I've got one. I know exactly what I want to do. And she was like, brilliant, what's your goal? I said, I want to climb Everest. And she, she smiled at me and just went, let's get you standing first and then maybe walking across the room. I was like, brilliant. 
six months later, I climbed Penny Van on crutches. Um, and that was 2018 as well. So it was all happening in 2018. I started playing squash as well in a wheelchair um, and then became the first disabled player ever to compete in a Welsh Open Masters uh, against able-bodied players. And in 2019, the beginning of 2019, I became the first disabled person ever to complete in Europe playing squash. And then in April this year, I was meant to be climbing Everest. So we were meant to leave the UK on the 28th of April. And I would literally just have arrived back in the UK after achieving my goal. That was my ultimate challenge. <laughs> However, um, COVID-19. Yeah. Um, but you know what? Everest is going to be there. And we'll do it next year. I've waited this long to achieve it. Um, and, and I'm not going to let you know anything hold me back. Uh, that's the, the point of everything. You know, it's just another fall over. I've fallen over a lot in my life. And one of the things I always say is get back up. Uh, because if you don't get back up and try again, every time you fail, you'll always fail. Um, and you have to fail in order to succeed. And how much better is my 40th birthday going to be watching the sunrise over Everest with my new wife? Uh, <laughs> it's almost as if it was meant to be. Yeah. So, uh, you know what? It's not so bad. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I, I hope those of you that are listening to this on the podcast and um, are watching on the live stream today um, can just hear that, 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 those messages that come through around motivation and inspiration and resilience and not being beaten. I mean, there's so much in your story. Um, I have a number of questions I'd like to ask you, Jamie, um, which I'm sure you were prepared for. Um, and these are unprepared. I'm not a clue what you're saying, but I promise I'll be honest. I know. Well, we had a discussion for those of you um, that uh, that are with us um, about, um, did Jamie want to know the questions? He was like, no, I don't want to know. Just ask them. So I was like, okay. Um, so uh, he's well and truly in the hot seat. Um, now, before I start asking my questions and start teasing out some of the other things I know around uh, Jamie's story. Um, I just want to obviously remind everybody that this week um, is Mental Health Awareness Week and we've been doing an awful lot uh, to promote Mental Health Awareness Week. And if you're enjoying the podcast episode uh, tonight, please do consider popping over to our Virgin Money giving page. Uh, we are uh, raising money for Mind, which is a mental health charity here in the UK. Um, if you are listening to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or any other podcast platform, then just head over to nlptalks.com, find this episode of Jamie's, and you will find the link um, on the website. Um, so, yeah. So, Jamie, the obvious question, which I would love to start with, is what drives you? Like, you have got drive like no one else I know. That ability to pick yourself up and keep going. What is it that drives you? That's actually really fantastic question and it's it's a real easy answer i'm a big believer that your brain will take you so far um and your heart will drive you the rest when i when i was able-bodied everything would get done tomorrow and then when i became disabled all of a sudden tomorrow didn't come around and when you have a relative close encounter to death like i have when you know okay granted at my own hands but you know it, albeit it was there, you kind of realized the value. And I remember when, um, you know, when I did it, I can remember how ashamed I was um, because I've got so many loved ones around me. And my mum at the time, and my dad at the time as well, you know, I've got all these loved ones around me who really care about who I am. And, and I let them down and I swore that I would never do that again. And not only did I let them down, I, I let myself down. And that's not, again, not a bad thing. Because, you know, it is, it's a journey that you have to take, right? You have to realize these things. And in matter of fact, I only actually told my mum about the drug overdose about two months ago. So, you know, I've been living with it all this time. And, and my mum's very proud of me. And I know my dad was. And that pride is a real driver. I mean, you listen to what my mum's been through. And she's 67 years old now. And since lockdown, she's walked over 200 miles. Um, you know, she... she <laughs> The, tea, the, the apple never fell far from the tree. Do you know what I mean? And my mum's always been honest with us and she's always been blunt with us and my dad has always been honest with us. And my mum and dad have always sort of pushed into us that, you know, you adapt and you overcome. And, you, you know, when you fall over, you pick yourself up and you dust yourself off. Don't cry, just pick yourself up and carry on. 
and I think I think those childhood lessons have, have come through. Um, so yeah, I, I'd definitely say my the love of my mother um, is the massive driving tool in uh, in my resistance and resilience to, to what gets thrown at me. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I love your I love your phrase. And I heard you use it the other day around the, you know, the head will take you so far, but the heart will drive you the rest of the way. And I just think, yeah, I just think it's such a, you know, it's it's almost like that passion, isn't it? It's that flame inside of you that you are just not prepared to let go. Um yeah. and um so yeah, just a phenomenal, phenomenal. Now that leads me on to my next question which is a challenge I have as well as I know you have, which is this balance between knowing when to walk away as opposed to knowing when to keep pushing. Because the passion that you have, the drive that you have is brilliant. And and without that, I'm sure you would never have achieved everything that you have. I mean, the accolades that you have are just phenomenal, Jamie. They really are. You know, but there's a downside sometimes to that passion and that drive. And I know from my own personal journey that that affected my mental health. Um, so I'd love to get your take on, um, you know, how do you know when enough is enough and it's time to stop as opposed <laughs> to keep pushing? Like there's a fine balance, right? Yeah, it is. yeah, you're right. Um, usually I get the look from Charlotte. Um, <laughs> that's a- that's the usual telltale sign. To be honest with you, it's actually not something I'm very good at. Sometimes you just know, like I can remember a couple of times when I've sort of done something and I thought, right, this isn't working. And if if I don't turn around now or I, I don't um, stop now, I'm going to cause myself some serious damage or, or even, you know, worse than that. And and I use I use Ben Evers actually as an example. So I'm an adventurer. I'm a mountaineer. Uh, it's my passion. And I've climbed Snowden more times I can't remember. Uh, I've climbed it on in snow, on crutches, in six foot of snow. Uh, I've climbed Ben Evis, you know, when there's been six foot of snow at the top, uh, and that was the middle of June. But I've also come off the mountain, and I've gone so far, and I've gone, yeah, it's not going to work. Like, we need, th- this is the time to turn around. And it's that old saying, Everest is going to be there tomorrow, um, and so is the mountain. And it's, I think everybody has a mountain to climb. It doesn't matter. Mine is a real mountain. Um, but it doesn't matter what that mountain is. It could be the next business deal. It could be the next maths exam. It could be anything. But you can drive. You can drive yourself so far. But if, if, if it's like when you're doing a, a you know working in a business, because obviously I run my own company. So when I'm working in a business, if I get frustrated, I walk away and come back because when I come back, I'm fresh. And when I'm driving myself into a challenge, um, after I've asked myself who's stupid. Idea was this in the first place. I I assess, I assess the, the situation as I'm going along, and if, if I think I'm going to put myself or others around me in danger, then I will always make that call to call back another time because nothing is worth nothing's worth like dying for. And th- does that affect my mental health? Some t- it, it has done in the past. Like I used to think, oh god, I'm a, I'm a failure again, but now. Um, I don't look at it like that anymore. I, I actually quite enjoy failing, um, which is really weird because when I fail, it means I get to do it all again. And and so I relish failure because I learned that the amount of times I've done challenges and now I consider myself quite successful. Now. Um, I'm successful in business. I'm successful in life. I'm successful in, in happiness. I'm successful as a, as a pioneer, but I failed more times than I've succeeded. And the only reason I've succeeded is because I failed. So that helps my mental health a lot because it's a case of understanding it and respecting it and going, do you know what actually failing is actually part of succeeding. So when you fail, you're on the way to success. Great. Keep going. So that's kind of how I, how I phrase it to myself and, and how I phrase it to other people. And I think it's a, it's a great message for anybody like to, to take away with them. It's like the old phrase, isn't it? You either win or learn. Um, you know, th- there is no lose, Jamie, is there? No, I love that saying. And um, so another famous saying of mine is uh, you never lose. You, you only ever win or learn. And, and I believe that. So I've either succeeded or I've learned from my mistakes. Um, and yeah, uh, and I make a lot of mistakes. My my father once said to me, learn from other people's mistakes, boy, because you'll never live long enough to make them all yourself. God rest his soul. I now get to tell him that I've tried most of them. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay, so I want to move on um, to talk about 
Everest, okay? Because this, this is not your average challenge. Even for you, it's not your average challenge. It really isn't. And um, I've, we've got a question here about physical training, which I'm going to come on to. But I want to start because I know for you, the start of the decision for you to climb Everest was a decision that you made in that room with that physio. And, I, and I've heard you say before that it was almost like they were saying to you that you can't, but you couldn't hear the word can't. So, so, so tell everybody kind of how that felt and how you started to reframe that in your head. Because I'm not being funny with someone that has got your track record of achievement in challenges as you have. To be told you can't do something, I'm thinking that's a little bit like a red rag to a bull, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, so when someone says you can't do something, I hear you can. Um, and when someone says you won't do that, I hear I have. And and I've been told my whole life what I can't do. You know, my maths teacher told me the only numbers I'd ever make up were numbers in a dog queue. My English teacher told me I had no concept of the English language. He's probably right. But, um, you know, I'm now a writer, I'm a blogger. I run my own company. I do all my own accounts. Uh, so, you know, I've I've achieved all of the things that were against me as a child. And when I became disabled, all the doctors were going, oh, you won't be able to do that anymore. And everyone around me was going, you're not going to be able to do that now, are you? And so I kind of set about myself to go, oh, actually, yeah, I can. And you're right. I, I made that decision very early on. And it was probably before physio. I made that decision when I was lying in a hospital bed, realizing that I'd made probably one of the biggest mistakes of my life. And then also feeling very grateful that I'd failed. So again, another positive for failure. You know, um, I survived something that could have been a very different story. And yeah, so and the biggest challenge I had with actually Everest, believe it or not, is not climbing the mountain itself, although I still haven't done that yet. But the biggest challenge I had was finding someone willing to take me. And because of, you know, health and safety and, and insurances and everything else. And I spoke to a company called Evertrek, and, and I hope you don't mind me punting them because they... They've been brilliant, right? So I spoke to uh, two guys, Andy and Dave, and um, I said to them, I said, oh, man, they, 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 that's what they do. They do high-altitude um, adventure, adventure trips. And I said, oh, man, I'd love, to do, I'd love to do Everest. And he was like, why don't you then? I was like, well, because I'm on crutches. And to be honest with you, I said, no one will take me. And he literally looked me clean in the eye and he went, I'll take you. He said, if you're, if you're serious, I'll take you. And I said, oh, no, I'm dead serious. I said, I've been wanting to do it since I was like a, a kid. He said, great, let's book a date. And we booked the date there and then. Um, and I paid the deposit there and then um, for me and Charlotte. I hadn't told Charlotte at this point. <laughs> so No, so that was a little surprise I had for her on her birthday uh, when I was stood in the kitchen. And I said, uh, I said, babe, I said, if I was to climb Everest, would you come with me? And she was like, yeah, yeah, definitely. I was like, oh, really cool. Because, um, well, we're booked on uh, for, for May next year. And she was like, sorry, what? I was like, yeah, it's, it's all done and dusted. <laughs> and she was like, oh, okay. Um, so anyway, yeah, she, bless her. she didn't have much choice. But Charlotte is, as I said before, she's a pinnacle part of, of my life because she's also a masseuse. So... I have electroshock treatment uh, on my spine, which helps, gives me a bit of mobility. And then Charlotte is my massage therapist. So she also gives me mobility. So she's the one that's going to be coming with me to make sure I get to the top. So she, bless her. She's not only got to be fit enough to get to the top. She's also got to be fit enough to look after me to make sure that I'm fit enough to get to the top. So yeah, she's got a big job ahead of her. So, so from that moment that Charlotte got told she was going up Everest, like how have you been preparing because I know you were ready to go on that plane I remember you were actually with me in the training room the day you were starting to realize that you might not be able to go so how do you go from by the way love we're um, we're coming up Everest just you know casually in the kitchen as you do um yeah. in, um how do you how do you go about preparing mentally and physically for something that you know is such a challenge yes yeah, so mentally i'm i'm mental anyway so my mental capacity was, was is fine i you know i know that for me I, i'll just keep plugging on until i get there uh, i'll be the first person ever to climb the mountain with complex regional pain syndrome and i will be doing it on crutches uh, so training wise, it's all about making sure that I can carry the weight I need to carry, um, that I can do the distance. So we, we were doing things like Snowden, um, and we were doing, you know, Ben Evis and, and Penny Van, and we were doing a lot, we, you know, we, at one point we were climbing three mountains a week, um, in order to prep for it. Uh, so yeah, so as you can imagine, when you're then told that you can't go, it, it's a real blow. 
Although that hasn't stopped us, it just means that we get another year of climbing more mountains and we both love mountains, so it doesn't matter. Um, for Charlotte, the I think the mental capacity was there with Charlotte a little bit more than me possibly because uh, there's Charlotte's pride of heights um, so she knows that she's got to overcome that. Uh, and at the same time, she feels the pressure that, you know, she's got to kind of look after me as well. But it goes back to that same, you know, principle that if, if it, if it doesn't feel right, then, you know, even, even at that point, um, if it doesn't feel right, then we, we come back, uh, and, you know, the mountain's going to be there again and, and we'll be ready again. So mentally it's a case of, just understanding and respecting it, respecting the mountain, respecting the fact that we're going to be struggling with altitude, uh, respecting the fact that we're going to have very professional guides with us, very experienced Sherpas. Uh, you, you put your hand, your life in their hands and you respect them and, you know, you respect what they're doing. And, and the prep work is really just making sure that you're physically fit uh, and making sure that Charlotte can trust me, that I won't let her down. Um, but at the same time, I trust her that she's not going to let me down. So that's the, the 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 main bit is the trust that the two that we have with each other as well, because that's very very important when you're in a life changing environment that could change at any minute. So you know you you've got to have that trust between the people that you're with as well. And have you had to put additional plans in place with the company as a result of deciding to go? You know, because I'm yeah. I'm not being funny. I put myself in their shoes. So I think you know like how do we keep this man safe this man that is not prepared to give up that we might have halfway up the highest mountain in the world and like like how have they been preparing to support you do you know um to be fair they've like the the sherpas all know about it they all know my story they all know who i am and they know what i'm am and i'm not capable of you know uh taking a step and everything aside, I'm, I'm a very experienced um, mountaineer anyway. So, you know, they respect that and they understand that. But at the same time, they also know that they're the ones in charge. So they are the ones that make the call. They're, they're the boss. And and I I don't argue with that. You know me from learning. I'm, I'm gobby and I'm mouthy and I'm confident. But I also get take being told very, very well. Uh, and especially if it means it's life or death. Uh, and in your training room, it literally was life or death. If I didn't listen to you, you know, I mean? Who knows where that could have ended up? Uh, but we've worked really close, closely with the team as well. Um, they've been great assets to us. Uh, and in fact, uh, as because I'm doing it to raise awareness for CRPS Aware, um, they've actually donated the trip for me and Charlotte as part of the charity fundraising. So they're actually now sponsoring us up the mountain. And the other company that's going to be sponsoring us is Smart Crutch, who's the company that actually makes the crutches that I'll be using to take up there and the feet as well. So, yeah, I've had great support from from some amazing companies, uh, which is always brilliant. But I think they all want to kind of, I think they just want to see me get up there. They, I, I carry this this kind of, like you said, I've got this like kind of charisma about me. And because I, I work hard and because I never give up and because I, you know, I'm sensible but determined, people want to see me succeed. And and I respect that and and massively appreciate it and and I have a lot of love for that because I want to make sure I don't let them down as well. So there's a lot of that kind of going on with just general respect and respect's a massive thing. So what is the plan when you get to base camp? I don't know. Eat cabbage cream egg, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and 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 just just appreciate my time. I mean, unfortunately, I won't be summiting Everest because that would. That would cost me my life. My my body will start breaking down at probably about four thousand meters. So to try and make Everest summit, I wouldn't make it anyway. I wouldn't make it past base camp too. Um, so it's going to be summit, and then uh, it's going to be base camp, and then the next day we'll be summiting the mountain next to uh, Everest. I can never remember the name, and I really should get it in my head. But I can't remember the, it. But yeah, uh, num Numnetch or something's called. But anyway, yeah. the day of my actual birthday, my 40th birthday, uh, I'll be watching the sun rise over the summit of Emerest. So, yeah, so base camp day is going to be basically, bear in mind, when you get to your goal, and I've said this a lot, when you climb your mountain, you're only ever halfway there. You've got to come back down. So when I get to where I want to go, I'll prepare myself to come back down, um, which is as hard a challenge as going up because when you're coming back down and your weight is being bared basically on two ferals, which is 
what the size of um, effectively a 50 pence piece. Um, you know, you've got to watch your step and you've got to keep, your, your mind has got to be in the game because if you slip and fall, you know, that's not a place you want to, it's not a place you want to break a bone, right? So you've got to keep your wits about you and keep your head in the game. And so, yeah, even when I get to my summit, which is base camp, um, I've got to keep my head about me and get back down. So the first thing I'll be doing is eat my cabbage cream egg, enjoying the moment, appreciating the views, and then getting back in the game ready for the trip back down. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. So let me ask you, what happens if, I don't know how many days this is going to take you to get up and down. Do you know? 18. So 18 days up and back or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, it can be done in 15. Uh, we'll probably aim for the 15, but we leave a couple of days just in case anything happens. So the weather can change, for example, and you may be stranded up there for a day or so, in which case then it gives you enough time to, to kind of, you've got money to play with, basically. You're not hanging around, are you? You're going to be getting up that mountain. Well, actually, funny enough, because of because I'm not as fast as, as able-bodied walkers, um, I actually stand a better chance because I'll have more time to acclimatize the altitude. So that's something else that we've um, we've worked with and, and worked on is is how my body will react um, at the speed that I'll be traveling. So I've, I've looked at how my average speed is and I've calculated that over the distance. And to be fair, the fact that I will be slower than most of the fitter guys will actually work in my favor. So, yeah, it's, not, it's all... <laughs> Silver lining and all that, you know. Oh, isn't it? Isn't it? Now, I have heard you refer to things called muddy puddle days. And I'm curious because over those 18 days, you may well end up having a muddy puddle day. So help everybody understand what, what that term means to you because it's your phrase. Um, and also, I'm, I'm curious as to how are you planning for that? Like, how are you planning to get yourself through that? So, okay, I'll explain what a muddy puddle day is first off, right? Um, if if anyone's ever been in a wheelchair, right? There's there's two things that you can't push through: chippings and muddy puddles, right? So whenever I'm having a bad day and I feel sluggish and life's getting a bit on top of me and it's just getting a bit hard, um, I refer to them as I'm having a muddy puddle day. And and I tell Charlotte that you know if she, if she looks at me and she goes, "Everything alright?" I'm just having a muddy puddle day, and she respects it. She understands it. So she doesn't go, well, you know, is there anything I can do with it? Yeah, because I don't want people to have to do that. I just want people to understand. And what I, how my coping mechanisms with muddy puddle days is I also respect. So if I'm, if I know I'm having a bad day, I don't beat myself up about it. I just go, you know what, I'm having a bad day. And that's, that's okay. And it's also okay to tell those around you, I'm having a bad day. Nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with you. You haven't done anything. This is just the way it is. And, and I've got to get through it in my own time. And a lot of, I meditate, uh, I love meditation. Um, and I use a lot of meditation. When I'm in a real bad time, I meditate. That's my way of just stepping up. So I stop speaking to people, I, I sit and, and I be quiet and I take the time for myself and I just give myself the time that my own mind is asking for. So, you know, if when I walk, at times I have sore legs, sore feet, sore hips, um, my joints swell, uh, I have pains even in my little toes. Um, I don't then push it. I allow them to heal. And my brain and my mind is exactly the same. I respect it the same way as I respect any other limb in my body. And when it needs time to rest, I give it that time it requires. And that's how I get through muddy puddle days. Um, and everyone knows what a muddy puddle day is now. So they all know that I'm actually all I'm doing is just resting myself so that I'm recharged for the next day. I love it. I love it. I love it. I'd like to, I'm conscious that we could sit here all night and talk. But, and, and I love your story. And, and you know, and honestly, I could sit here all night. I, I just think you're such an inspiration. I'm thinking, you know, some people might be listening to the podcast um, who have people in their lives um, that are struggling at the moment. You know, people that are struggling with their mental health, people that are struggling with um, the confines of being, you know, in lockdown. You know, for those of you listening to the podcast, we're, we're recording this in the middle of the COVID crisis um, pandemic in the UK. Um, and so we're all being asked to stay at home. Um, and I'm thinking you probably have got a few pearls of wisdom, um, you know, to offer, both in terms of what people can do to support people that are going through mental health challenges, but also how to cope yourself with, um, you know, what is essentially an overnight crisis that we're all in. And, and I'm just wondering if you could offer some pearls of wisdom in both those camps. Yes. Yeah, so to help and support other people, um, just be the person that listens uh, and respect the other person. So, you know, if someone's having a bad day or a muddy puddle day and they say, I'm just having a bad day, just respect it. Offer them your ear to listen. Always be the one to listen. 
And, you know, someone listening to me saved my life. It's as simple as that. And and I've always said, you know, if, you, if, you, if you've got nothing to say, then be the one to listen. Because to you, it's a very small gesture, but to them, it is literally the world. So if you've got nothing to say, be the one to listen. That's my top tip for supporting other people. My top tip for people going through it is you've got to deal with it in your own way. The idea is don't be so hard on yourself. You know, the truth of the matter is, whatever the circumstances, you're still here, which means you're doing great. And that was something that I always say to myself is, you know, I'm still here, which means I'm doing great. I wake up every morning, I'm breathing in and out. So I'm halfway through the battle. But another way of looking at it as a positive perspective is right now you are pioneering the rest of the world because in times to come you're going to be sharing this journey and sharing this story and you we're we are now of the we are going to be the firsts so we're going to be the first people to learn about online learning and adapting to you know the online world we're going to be the first to change so many changes are coming and we're going to be the the guinea pigs we're going to be the first people to achieve that in times to come when you look back at this, actually what we're really doing right now is is making history and is is changing the world and and I think for the better. So that's the two kind of ways I keep saying to myself, do you know what, in five years' time when I look back at this, or even six months' time, I'm gonna look back at this and realize what I've been through and realize what I've what I've also achieved and survived and come through the other end. And, you know, is it gonna be as important a bigger deal or or as um a stressful situation as it is now like in five years time is even going to make it is it going to mean anything to us uh, and that's what i keep trying to say, say to myself you know in six months time this is just going to be another experience that is that i've learned and and come away from so yeah i kind of hope that kind of answers your question it's a real difficult one to answer because to support other people you can do but there's when you when you're in that overwhelm of of your mental health you know, it is really, really difficult to admit it to yourself sometimes. And that's, that's the key. It is always the key. Admit it to yourself. And the second you ask for help, you're on the road to, to you know, wherever you want to go. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, I totally agree. I mean, I, I've heard you talk before about your biggest enemies were in your mind. You know, you know, when you go back to those days when, you know, you woke up overnight, you know, just literally overnight and you were confined to your house. You know, I can I can only, you know, try to even imagine because I haven't done it, but about how that must have felt, um, you know, and those demons that must have been in your mind that you so courageously battled against, against all the odds to walk again, um, you know, to, to, to do all the things that you've done, I just think is phenomenal. And, and, you know, those demons or enemies, as you call them in your mind, like you well and truly got them in check, right? Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest problems for me, I'm ex-forces, as I said, and, and, you know, we've all done things that we're not proud of, and we've all done things that we, we've had to do, you know, some some of us have had to do other things that, you know, the average human person will, will never ever have had to experience, and and quite frankly, I, I you know, I, I don't, you know, I envy that, like, I, I wouldn't want anyone to experience some of the things that I've gone through, especially in my military career, so I went through the whole, this is payback, this is, this is karma, this is the world's revenge, so I had then demons to deal with as well. And I had to deal with them first because those suckers were the biggest demons ever. And, you know, to deal with your own self-guilt is is self-destroying. And, and that was another thing that I had to deal with. But, you know, I had to keep them in check. I had to... I had to say, listen, Jay, like, you know, this is not the case. Like, this, this is this is just a freak accident. So, yeah, yeah, I, I had other demons as well, other skeletons that I had to deal with, but I just dealt with them one at a time because bite-sized chunks, right? You, you can't deal with everything all of the time. Um, and I always say to people that I'm, I'm a very good businessman. I'm a very good, you know, partner. I'm a very good friend. I'm a very good trainer, um, but I'm not very good at it all at the time. Um, I'm only very good at it one at a time. So I just concentrate on what I'm being good at at that time and then, worry about the rest when I have to I love it I love it that is just brilliant that's brilliant I can't thank you enough for giving us your time this evening I mean I, I literally I we could sit here for a whole other hour I mean I haven't even got halfway through my list of questions <laughs> um, I'm a bit of a talker I told you that <laughs> and, and I'm just you know and, and I know I'm going to be seeing you again very soon anyway and uh, I know continue to to look forward to getting to know you and your story even better and um you know your your journey is absolutely inspirational like you know you just missed those things about going up Panavan on your hands you know the plane jump you know 
doing their hand cycling, you know, being the first person in, in Wales, um, you know, disabled person to compete. And I just, you know, you just look at all of those things. I think any one of those would have been phenomenal, but you've done them all and you've gone, that ain't enough. I'm going to go up Everest. Um, you know, I mean, nothing can stop you. Um, and I think, you know, I, I'd like to offer you the opportunity just before we kind of wrap up. You know, if there was one thing that you wanted to say to people listening to this podcast, I know what what would be that ultimate pearl of wisdom you'd want to share? I, it, do you know, I actually, I'm so glad you gave me that little second to say this. So. It's a it's a famous quote, and and I'll put it on my um face. It's on my Facebook page at the moment, right? So, uh, it's a famous quote by a Brazilian motivational speaker, and the quote says, "If you're depressed, you're looking into the past. If you're anxious, you're looking into the future. And if you're looking into the now, you are calm." And that would be my biggest sort of pearl of wisdom, if you like, my golden nugget is: if you're being depressed, you're looking at the past. You can't do anything about it. Let it go. Burn those photos, burn those that time, bury it. If you're feeling anxious, you're looking into a future that you're never going to have any control over until it is the now, which is the only bit you do have control over. And at the in the now, when you're thinking about the now, that is when you're most calm. And every second you waste worrying about the past or the future, you're you're missing out on the now. And I kind of that's I think that's a real golden nugget. And 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 I can't. I'm so happy that you allowed me to share that. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Jamie, if uh, people want to get in contact with you, so I know you're a very popular motivational speaker. You do a lot of work with schools, motivating children, uh, doing after dinner speeches. Like, you know, we're so lucky to have you here on the podcast. And if anybody's listening um, and they want to get in touch with you, um, what is the best way for them to do that? Basically, um, they, if they type in my name into Google on the first 10 pages, so, you know, you can't lose me. <laughs> if you want to get in touch with me, jamie at cenobounds.co.uk is my email address. More than happy to for you to do that. Uh, you can contact me via Facebook. I'm on Facebook. Um, my company's on Facebook, Cenobounds. My website, you can contact me through that as well. And I am more than happy. Do you know, if you need someone to ask a question to, or you just want some advice, or you just want to have someone to listen that you don't know, I'm more than happy to do that. So, because I know how hard it is to be stuck in a dark corner. It's very generous of you to say that. And thank you very much. Well, it's been a privilege to have you on the NLP Talks podcast. Thank you so much for sharing your story, answering my questions um, and inspiring (laughs) us all. Um, Thank you so much. Thank you to everybody that has been watching us live. I very much value you and your time. And thank you for being with us. If you felt able to, I'd love you to make a donation to the charity Mind, which we're supporting this week for Mental Health Awareness Week. And you can pop over to virginmoney.org giving.com forward slash unleash your potential um and um yeah please do if you can uh, go pop across there and just make a donation um in honor of what i think has been an amazing talk this evening uh thank you to everybody that's listened to us on the podcast as well remember if you want to find out more about the podcast head on over to nlptalks.com where you will be able to see all of the episodes and all the links uh, to all the amazing interviews that we've done so uh, jamie thank you so much i really appreciate it an absolute pleasure.